0: How are you this fine day? Good. I'm well. Thank you for asking. I appreciate that. You're a good looking group out yonder. Glad you were here today. Hey, we're going to be um, in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you may want to start making your way there, uh, the gospel of Luke chapter 10. If you want to find Luke chapter 10, that's where we're going to Dive into today. While you're while you're finding your way there, a couple of things I want to share with you that are going on around the river um, today. Right after this service, there's a brief meeting for anyone who would like to be a part of a kind of a relaunch of a ministry here. Um, that is uh, our safety team. Now, our safety team's purpose and, and reason for existence is to make sure that when we gather that things are, are safe, and they kind of keep eyes out on what's going on around the parking lot and those kinds of things, and um, you know, they're, they're, they kind of take care of us, uh, kind of like watchmen, if you would, or watch women because it's not just a male kind of ministry. If you're interested in participating in that ministry, um, you just a couple of things I could tell you about it. I know that you, it's not something you have to serve at every Sunday. It's one of those things that you could do once a month, Um, maybe once a quarter, if that fits your schedule better. You you could probably do it every Sunday if you wanted to, if you were so inclined. I'm sure there would be space for that. But um, right after this, uh, our service in room 102, which is right down the A hallway, last door kind of on your right there, uh, that meeting will be taking place. And again, I've I've been told it's brief that I was supposed to say, and I didn't do it in the first service, it's brief. It's brief. So just know that. And uh, again, if you're, if you're a visitor, if you're somebody who's a regular attender and you've not yet joined our church, this is a ministry that you could dive into and, uh, and help serve around here. Also, um, our deacons, uh, a couple months back, began calling uh, their families, the families that they have been assigned for this past year, and begin connecting with those families, letting their families know that you know, they're their deacon, how can they serve you, and those kinds of things. If you have not yet gotten a call, if you are a member of River Bluff Church, an active member of River Bluff Church, and have not yet gotten a call from your deacon, please call the church office and let us know. Because I hate to say it, but sometimes things around here even fall through the cracks, and we don't want any of those things to be you. Uh, we don't want those to be people. So please let us know, because we want to we fix that. Uh, the other thing that I would say to you, some of you have been hanging out at River Bluff, For so long, you assume you're a member, Um, and that may not be true because you have to make a decision to join uh, our church through covenant, and so on Sunday, August 21st, we're going to be doing our next Exploring Church membership seminar where we'll tell you about why we're here, what we think we're doing, where we think the Lord's heading uh, with us, and we'll give you an opportunity to say, I want a covenant to be a part of this River Bluff family. And so you'll have an opportunity to do that on the 21st. On the 28th, another way to serve is you can uh, be part of our blood drive. Uh, we'll have a blood drive that will be taking place here. And uh, just it's a great way to bless our community. Many of you know and have heard multiple times that, you know, blood right now is in short supply. And so um, kind of a crisis thing. So I encourage you to engage in those things. And I also want to again take a moment to say thank you to those of you who You know, through your tithes and offerings and generosity and sacrifice, give to the work of the Lord through River Bluff Church. It allows us to do things like um, take teenagers to camp, uh, students to camp, and things like Fuged, and that they so eloquently shared from their heart of what they got to see God do both around them and and inside their own lives. And it's those kinds of life-changing ministries. And I just want to thank you for... um, the way that you give to make those kinds of things happen. Okay, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, so if you're there, turn back one chapter. We're going to get to Luke 10, I promise, but I want to I share one verse with you that really is the context for everything else that happens in the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we read these words. As the time approached for him, this is speaking of Jesus, to be taken up to heaven. So this is This is prior to, um, obviously, his death, uh, resurrection, uh, and, and then ascension. This is prior to that. It says, at the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Some translations say resolutely set his face. And what this is speaking of now is the backdrop for everything else that is going to take place in the Gospel of Luke is the cross. Jesus is heading to the cross. And he knows that. So the account of what we look at today has the cross as a backdrop. Everything in the Gospel of Luke from that point forward, the cross is really a a backdrop. Now, Jesus really is the only person who's really grasped this at this point. Though he has told his disciples, nobody else is really aware of it. They're not cognitive of it. It's not something that's constantly before their minds, but it is before the mind of Jesus in everything that he does, including what we read next. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke chapter 10. And I want you to look with me at verses 38 through 42 this morning. Start reading in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, this is Jesus and his disciples, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. And listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Now, oftentimes when this account is taught on or uh, spoken about, um, I often hear it as a contrast comparison about different personality types. That there's there's a Mary type and there's a Martha type. And that they're just very, very different. And Mary is thought to be kind of introspective and quiet and, and deep and have a natural pull towards things like silence and, you know, serenity, those kinds of things. Um, people of this type, if you would, would have been people who would have said amen uh, when Socrates said the examined life, the unexamined life that's not worth living. Um, they would have said, yeah, that's right. So that that's kind of the the Mary type. In contrast, people want to use this passage to to kind of contrast the Marthas of the world, and and Martha, as we read about it, was busy. She was active. She was kind of maybe achievement oriented. Um, she could multitask. Anybody in here a multitasker? You just you love to multitask. Then your patron saint may be Martha. Okay, you may just think that's that's uh, you know Martha. In Luke's account, she's thought to be you know simultaneously making this. This big meal, cleaning a house, listening to spiritual teaching, you know, telling somebody else what they need to be doing. Um, that, that, that's kind of what's going on. That's a Martha type. And you, know, you, you know, and you might know that you're a Martha if right now while you're trying to take sermon notes, you're also making your shopping list. Okay, you're a Martha type. But I don't think this account in Luke is really here to contrast two different types of people. I think something much, much deeper is going on. I believe it's a story about being with Jesus and discovering how much he truly cares about you and in this instance, about Martha. And so here's the big idea for the day's message. And I, I almost wish I'd have labeled it the big warning, but because I called it the big idea, we're gonna stick with that. Here's the big idea for, for the message today. It is possible to have the Prince of Peace beside you and have a powder keg of explosive anxiety inside you. It's possible for the Prince of Peace to be beside you and for all of these things to be swirling in your soul anxiously, just waiting to erupt on the inside. We see this in this story, this account. Martha was just, she blew up. Something was going on deep inside her, and the Prince of Peace was in in the room next to her. So I want us to take some moments and look and and think about the, the context of this for a second. This Martha, she has this sister named Mary. It doesn't tell us in this account in Luke, but in the Gospel of John, we know that she has a brother named Lazarus. If you turned over to John's Gospel and looked at chapter 11, you would see that Lazarus actually died and Jesus raised him from the dead. And in in that place and in other places, we know that this this household was made up of uh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. So if you look back specifically at verse 38, it tells us this. It says, now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, the first thing that's striking to me about this is the scripture does not tell us for certain that the disciples were there. It, It doesn't. In fact, if you read it, just kind of a literal reading, it says they were on their way. Jesus is the one that went into the village, and Martha invited Jesus into her house. Now, I'm of the personal opinion that the disciples were there, that they did go with them. most of the commentators I read also do, and it's primarily because of the word that is used later about she was listening to Jesus' teaching, speaking of Mary, That teaching there is something bigger, and it's believed that there was a pretty good crowd in in the house that day. But right there, just something to catch your attention. The other thing that I hope will capture your attention is uh, the phrasing of whose house it was. Notice again it says, Martha welcomed him, speaking of Jesus, into whose house? Her house. Now, we don't know how this came about But um, it it may have been that Martha was widowed. Maybe she and her husband had a house and now she's widowed. It's obvious from most of the context of Scripture that she did not have a husband. But it seems by the wording here in Luke, the house belonged to her. And she has, you know, graciously invited her brother and sister to, to live with her. The Scriptures don't give us the details, but Luke tells us this was her house. Now, one of the things that that tells me is Martha was a leader. Something I think we need to know about Martha. We need to recognize that she, she, she was a leader. It's not Mary's house. It's not called Lazarus' house. It's not called their house. It's called Martha's house, which also means, evidently, she was also the manager of, if you want to call it that, the, the household, the, the resources, the finances. She, she's the one that kind of gave direction to how this house would be run. Now, if you did fast forward over to John 11 and look at the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, one of the things you'll discover is that um, as soon as Jesus was approaching the village where they lived, Lazarus is dead, Martha runs out immediately to meet Jesus. And in that account, you will see her also kind of giving Jesus direction on what she thinks should, should have happened. And it's because Martha, Martha is a leader. But Martha is a leader who is struggling. She's having some intense struggles, and they're multiplying. They're, They're just, they're welling up. Look at verses 39 and 40. It said, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha's a leader, but now we see that Martha is a leader who got distracted it says specifically she got distracted with much serving now i don't think the emphasis is on the serving but on the word distraction that word means to be pulled in several directions have you ever had tried to have a conversation with a mom with like three preschoolers and the preschoolers are in the room anybody experienced that it can be it can be challenging because you can you can see on their face they're feeling torn you know, being pulled in, in, in so many directions. Have, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I hear you laughing. Have, have you, whether regardless of the preschool conversation, have you ever felt kind of pulled in multiple directions at one time? Maybe felt pulled apart? Because there are seasons of life for all of us where, where that happens. You know, just where you think things are calming down a little bit and the next wave just crashes in. Sometimes that's just what, what life on this planet is like. You know, you just thought, thought you're just about to get everything kind of manageable, and then the kid gets sick. The car breaks down. The boss gives you, moves the project deadline up two weeks, and suddenly you are distracted by those things. You're distracted from your main purpose in life. You're distracted from your focus. You're distracted from where you want it to be heading. And if you kind of stay distracted, if you stay lost there long enough, you're going to eventually do what Martha did, and you're going to lose your composure if you stay in that vein long enough. Now, your intentions may have been absolutely spot on, but because you were pulled in so many directions, you didn't know which way, way to turn. This is where we find Martha. And I want you to notice a couple of things. Luke does not say that she was too busy, that she was too, you know, important, that she was overcommitted. It just uses this word, she was distracted. And again, this word has to do almost with like you're being dragged physically away. It's it's that kind of imagery uh, of, of this word distracted. And the implication is, I believe, that Martha wanted to be with Jesus, that it was her initial intent. Remember, she's the one that had invited him into her house, but now she has allowed herself to get distracted to a state where she's prevented from doing the thing that she wanted because of external pressures. Look at verse 40 of Luke chapter 10. It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, this is to Jesus now, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Friends, when you live an unfocused life, when you live away from your primary purpose, when you live in the state of being continuously distracted, the state of being overwhelmed, the state of being pulled apart, it will cause you to run towards something different. And here we see this, Martha, who got distracted, is now running towards resentment. She's running towards resentment. You know, Martha's in the kitchen. She doesn't have to be. Jesus doesn't want her there, but she is there. She desires, I believe, to be in the presence of Jesus. After all, you know, she invited him, but now she is distracted. She's lost, lost focus, and we don't know why. Maybe, maybe it's fear. Maybe it's fear of what people will think if the meal's not perfect or if the house isn't completely clean. You know, I I don't know what it is. Pride, who, who knows? But here's what happens. She begins to listen to a voice other than the voice of Jesus. She starts hearing this voice. Now, here's what I believe happened. I believe Martha thought that as soon as all the pleasantries in that other room had taken place, Sure enough, my sister Mary will be in here to help me get all this ready. She'll help me with the cooking, the cleaning, that kind of stuff. But Mary does not come. And when Mary does not come, Martha walks into the amplification phenomenon zone. You know what the amplification phenomenon zone is? It's kind of like this. Let's say you're in the kitchen... And you are, you're putting the dishes in the dishwasher, getting them out of the sink and off the counters, and you're you're putting them in the dishwasher. And your family or your roommate is in the other room watching TV, not doing anything, you know, necessarily helpful to help the household. And you're noticing that. And so you start putting away the dishes, A little bit louder so they'll hear you so that they will come to help you but what happens they don't come to help you instead what happens the louder you clang the dishes you start noticing the tv's getting louder you know to kind of shut you you out and, and they don't come. And so you start to get angry, and all this starts to get amplified, and you start banging the plates on the counter and making sure you're dropping them in, in the dishwasher and shutting doors, and, and, and they don't come. See, you want that other person to recognize how slothful and selfish that they're being, and to come and maybe fall at your feet and declare their how, how, how much they lack a good work ethic. You know, you're, you're, you're hoping something like that. So Martha, I believe, she's in the kitchen, and she's at the cupboard-rattling stage now. She's banging dishes around, you know, and, 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 and Mary's not coming, and she's thinking, you know, Jesus, the, one, the guy who's always talking about serving others, is out there in that room, and nobody else is serving anybody but me. You know, I thought the Hebrew people got set free a long time ago, but here I am, still in captivity. This is this is going on. It's amplifying in, in, in her mind. And so Martha is having this pity party in the kitchen while Jesus is in the other room. And it finally came because she sat in it long enough, boiling out. And I, I want you to see how it comes out. It's important to, to notice how it how it comes out. See, when we get resentful, when we allow our hearts and souls to go that way, we start looking around, not at ourselves, but looking around what's going on. Now, remember, Martha's struggle is these distractions. It led to her to begin to resent her sister, and now we see her engage Jesus, you know, and Jesus doesn't, I hope you notice this, he doesn't command Mary to do what Martha wanted him to do. He commends Mary for not getting distracted like Martha. And I think it kind of blows up even more. Look at verse 40. It says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Friends, when we nurse resentment long enough, the next move that we make, Martha made, and she moved to blame. She moved to start blaming others. She started blaming Mary for the predicament. She started blaming Mary for the feelings that that she was having. Not only did she move to blaming, but shaming came along. She she started actually shaming. She's blaming Mary for her blow-up. She's blaming Mary for all of this. And she's gone now into full-blown coding. You know what coding is, don't you? Coding is when you will not speak directly to a person, but try to drop hints to manipulate them to get accomplish what you want them to do. It's kind of like, you know, somebody's walking in a room and saying, I sure wish somebody would take out the trash. Well, just ask that person if you want them to take out the trash. You know, the, the, the other coding, and sometimes we code using a third party instead of, instead of talking directly to that person, and this is what Martha's doing. She comes into the room, I think she's looking at Mary But she says to Jesus, will you tell her to get up and to help me? And Jesus doesn't respond. See, she's blaming Mary for everything, trying to shame Mary publicly in the eyes of Jesus and the disciples. Are you a blamer? Are you one who, you know, when your soul gets in a mess, you pull out the shaming card and you try to blame somebody else for the feelings that are going on inside of you, when you're overwhelmed and frustrated and and, and distracted by all of those things, do you look around at your wife or your your husband or your boss or a co-worker or your kids or your parents? Do, Do you look around and start trying to blame others? Is that, is that what's going on? You know, to some degree or another, all of us have probably walked in the blaming, shaming game. We've probably all been recipients of it, and we've probably all been, you know, people who promoted onto the lives of others. But when you do that, here's what happens. People start pulling away. People can't stand in, in, that, in that place taking those hits from you, blaming them and shaming them forever. And so their hearts begin to disconnect from you. And they go further away from you and what you had hoped would happen, then they draw closer to that. And I want you to look back at how dark things get for Mary because there's a darkness here. In verse 40, it says, and she went up to him, speaking of Jesus, and said to him, Lord, do you not care? See, Martha's decision to dwell in the land of blaming, shaming, coding, eventually, because the people around her pull back, the only person left to blame is God. And so this is where Martha moves to. She now has gone to accusing God. She might have been looking at Mary, but she was now accusing God. Lord, do you not care? Now, she recognized who she was talking to. She still addressed him as Lord. But ultimately, she's blaming him. Jesus, don't you care about this mess I'm in? Don't you see Jesus? Don't you know? This reminds me another time those exact words were used by the disciples of Jesus. They were all in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. They were trying to get away from the crowds. They were going across the lake. It's recorded in Mark chapter 4. They're moving across the lake, and Jesus goes to sleep in the back of the boat. He's exhausted. He's exhausted and a storm comes up. The storms on the Sea of Galilee come up very, very quickly, and one came up. Jesus is in the back of the boat, sleeping, and it's getting, it's rocking and rolling, and the disciples began to fear for their lives, and they walk to the back of the boat and try to shake Jesus awake, and the words they used to their Lord and teacher and master is, Lord, do you not care that we're about to perish? It's the same words. Jesus, do you not care? And those are those are words of accusation. Now, I know, and you know, if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, there are moments, there may be even seasons where it feels like feels like the Lord is indifferent to our pressure and our busyness and to the distractions. But Jesus, in those moments, he will still our storm. He did it on the sea that day, and he's about to do it in Martha's life. See, Martha's problem were not the preparations that might have been many. Her problem was not her sister, Mary. Her problem wasn't really an uncaring Savior or Lord. Martha's problem was Martha. It's just the reality of what happens. This is an inside issue, not an outside issue. Far too often what happens to us is we get our insides confused with our outsides. We we, we just do. In his book, When God Whispers, Max Lucado tells of a time when he went into the office really early, like 4 a.m. He woke up really early, couldn't go back to sleep, decided to go in and get some work done, and there had been a series of break-ins in their community, and so the church had recently installed an alarm system, um, and so he's, he's up there, and so he goes in, and uh, let, me, let me just read it to you. It says, um, I entered the office complex, disarmed the alarm, and then rearmed it. A few seconds later, the siren screamed. Somebody is trying to break in, I thought. I raced down the hall, turned off the alarm, ran back to my office, and I dialed 911. After I hung up, it occurred to me that the thieves could get in before the police arrived. I dashed back down the hall and rearmed the system. They won't get me, I mumbled. As I punched in the code, I, I, I turned and the sirens blared again. I disarmed the alarm once more and reset it. And then I walked to a window to look for the police, and the alarm sounded another time. Once again, I disarmed it and I reset it. Walking back to my office, the alarm sounded again. I disarmed it and reset it, and I thought, wait a minute. The alarm system must be fouled up. So I called the alarm company. I said, our system keeps going off. I I told the fellow who answered. He said, either we've got a determined thief or a malfunction. There could be another option, said the voice on the other end of the phone. Did you know that your building is equipped with motion detectors? At that moment, the police arrived. I... Think the problem is inside, not outside. I told them in an embarrassed state, and they left. See, friends, sometimes these alarms are going off, and we think it's because something's happening on the outside when it's really something going on uh, on the inside of us. It's happening in, in our souls. And we too often try to look on the outside, but Jesus does his best work on the inside, that's where he changes our, our outside lives is the work that he does on the inside. And so instead of springing into action and accomplishing what Martha had hoped, Jesus does not address Mary. Instead, Jesus slows Martha down. And I think he speaks very deliberately to this anxious and hurting woman. And this is where we begin to see Jesus demonstrating how much he cares. Jesus wants you to know that he cares. And it shows up in the way that he expresses his love in this moment for Martha. Because see, friends, Jesus loved Martha. And I pray that you see this, not not just because over in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 5, the scripture is very, very clear. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's, that's really clear. But I want in from from the context of the account that we're looking at, Jesus Jesus expresses his love for for Martha in a very rich and deep, tender way while simultaneously confronting what's going on inside of her. And Jesus comes to us the very same way. And I want you to notice how he speaks to to Martha. Uh, Luke 10, verse 41, it says, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, Martha. I think he speaks that way. I think he's disarming her frenzy with tenderness because he knows he's about to speak some difficult truth into her life. And this, this, this Jesus using this kind of double name is a common, common expression for Jesus when he loves somebody and he knows he's about to have to tell them something difficult. He will call their name twice twice. The gospel of Luke in chapter 22 records a moment when Jesus is with the apostle Peter, also known as Simon. And he tells Simon something. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Simon, Simon, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you will not, your faith won't fail. And see, Jesus has given this tender warning to Simon Peter. He's expressing his love through his testimony of praying for Peter. Again, if you look in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 13, just a few chapters forward, it, it says that Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem, he was lamenting over the city, and he, he just weeps, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen, gathers her brood under her wings, but you are not willing See, this expression of Jesus is, a, uh, is his heartache, and it's an expression of his great love. And this is the way that Jesus loves you. This is the way that he expresses his love for us. God has always done that. God comes to the great prophet, the one known as the weeping prophet, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, we, we know, battled depression. You can just tell from his writings, uh, reading his writings, you, you can see that. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, God spoke to the prophet for the people and for the prophet himself, I believe. God says, for long ago, the Lord has says, I have loved you, O my people, with an everlasting love. With loving kindness, I have drawn you into me. Friends, in his great love for Jesus, Jesus is speaking to Martha with the purpose to draw her into him. Jesus Jesus loves her. And his love for Martha is going to be expressed through his great care. So this is the next way that I see Jesus showing his great care, is by pointing out our real issues, the real issues going on inside of us. This is what he does. See, again, Martha's problem isn't the dishes, it's not her sister, it's not these outside circumstances, it's what's gone on in her soul. That's what Jesus begins to point to. The Lord answered her, it says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Something was going on deep, this inner turmoil. You're anxious and troubled. Now that word that is translated anxious actually means to be torn into pieces from many directions. It's kind of like being nibbled to death, if you would. That word for troubled is this imagery of like a boat being tossed capsized upside down and just be driven by by the wind. I think that was hard for Martha to hear. She she went there looking for Jesus to do something outside, and Jesus, as he always does, goes for the heart, and it was hard for her to hear. But she came to understand it was Jesus' expression of love. You know, the truth about us is we can always, if we look hard enough, find something to complain about. We can find something to complain about, you know, in the lives of, in our relationships with the people we're closest to. We look hard enough. We can, we can always find, you know, something where we can maybe list what looks to us like a, a legitimate, you know, grievance or disappointment. But maybe just this morning, Maybe the Lord brought you here for the purpose of slowing you down for just a second and pointing out to you, it's not what's going on on the outside that's killing you. It's not your boss. It's not your project. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your parents. It's not not your kids. It's not your teacher. It's not any of those things outside. It's inside of you. And Jesus wants to speak into that. He just wants to speak into that. And he's saying, let's talk about it. Let me slow you down for a moment and just just hear me call your name. Will you humor? I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now to minister to an old person, okay? I'm gonna ask you to minister to me. Humor me for a second, okay? I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. Just go ahead, close your eyes for just a second. And in just a moment, I want you to audibly whisper, very slowly, but audibly whisper your own name out loud. Go ahead. Do it twice. Okay, you can open your eyes. Jesus wants you to hear audibly him calling your name, speaking to you in the midst of your storm, in the midst of those places on the inside of you that feel like you're being torn apart. Jesus wants you to respond to his calling your name, To hear of his great love, his gentle compassion, his kindness for you. See, he he does this, stepping right into the fears and pains that, that Martha has, and he speaks his great love out. Now, friends, that's almost always hard to hear. When Jesus comes, it's almost always hard to hear to begin with. But when you come to hear his voice and know it's him, you'll soon realize that it will always bring blessing. It will always bring freedom. It will always lead to wholeness and hope. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the Gospel of John gives us this incredible description of who Jesus is right out of the gate of his Gospel. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, "...and the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father." And the word glory here is is talking about the beauty of God, the wonder of God, the, the, the goodness of God. So we've seen that in Jesus, and it says he is full of grace and truth. Friends, one of the greatest ways to see the full beauty and glory and goodness of God in your life is to let Jesus speak to you truth and grace. He wants to do that. He wants you to know the truth about yourself, but he'll always deliver it out of his love for you, out of his grace for you. He's going to bring it that way. It'll be delivered in hands of grace, gentleness and, and, and tenderness. Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit's going to live that way. See, if you're a Christ follower, if you've trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. It's what the Bible teaches. And Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, Verses 12 through 15, it says, There is much more I want to tell you, Jesus told his disciples, but right now you can't bear it. When the Spirit of the truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you whatever he receives from me. Sometimes I think people have this idea that the Holy Spirit's purpose is to be the one that kind of clubs you. That is not the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to lead you to the truth about yourself, but he's going to do it with the words of Jesus, the words of comfort, the words of gentleness, the words of of grace. Truth, yes, but delivered in, in the context of Jesus' grace, not to condemn you, but to convict you, to move you to a better way to live. And Jesus does this in Martha's life because out of that moment, when he's dealing with her distraction and her descending into accusation, in that moment, Jesus gives Martha a great invitation. He gives Martha this invitation. Jesus shows he cares by inviting us and Martha into FaceTime with him. Now, I'm not talking about on, you know, an app on your phone. I'm, I'm talking about Face-to-Face time with Jesus. Remember, he's pointing her to a better way. Look what he says in verse 41 through 42. It says, but the Lord answered her. One thing is necessary. Just one thing, Martha. Mary has chosen the good portion which shall not be taken away from her. See, Jesus is casting a vision for Martha to see that there's a better way. There's, There's a better portion. It's like a really good portion of pie. Anybody love pie? There's just certain pies that I just love. I love pie. I always love it when we are at my mother-in-law's house when my mother-in-law cuts me a piece of pie. I try to avoid letting Kathy, I love my wife, but she always cuts me little slivers of pie because she wants to make sure everybody else has enough. I know why she's doing it. My mother-in-law cuts me like half the pie. You know, she, she gives me this, this portion, this great portion. In fact, this past week, she sent me a whole pie a whole key lime pie. Yeah. It was a great portion. See, Jesus is setting before Martha this vision that, Martha, I got a great portion for you. I got a better portion for you, Martha. It's the good portion. Mary, Mary's already come and got her serving. Martha, I got a portion for you too. I want you to look at what the portion, the portion got described right out of the gate back in verse 39. It said, she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Mary was at the, uh, the Lord's feet. Have you ever seen a bunch of preschoolers gather around a teacher who's reading them a story? And they're, and they're a really good reader because they read with their face. And the kids are just mesmerized looking at their face, waiting on them to show the book, But when they're reading it, they're just fixed on the face of the teacher because the face expresses what's going to happen next. And the kids know this. And Jesus is inviting Martha into that place. See, Mary was seated at the feet of Jesus, but she was looking into his face. She was seeing the one who created all of the universe by speaking with his lips and everything came into be now those lips were speaking to mary those lips were smiling at mary and that has always been on the heart of god that's the portion that jesus is offering to martha it's the portion he offers to all of us this has been on the heart of god forever when you look back at the old testament and god had just said his people free of captivity, 400 years of captivity by the Egyptians. And they've come out of that. And God is wanting to people to know who he is and his heart for them. And so God instructs Moses to tell Aaron, you go out the next time the people are assembled and I want you to give them a blessing. I want you to give them this blessing so that they will know what I have for them. And in Numbers chapter six, verse 24 through 26, we read these words, may the Lord bless you. And keep you, and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, and the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is the blessing that Mary was receiving seated at the feet of Jesus. She was seeing the Savior of the world, the Lord of all creation, smile upon her. She was hearing this Old Testament blessing lived out. She was seeing it lived out. And now Jesus is inviting Martha to cease her striving, to rest from her sense of needing to please everybody, her sense of needing to get her identity from how well the party was going, to just sit with him and see him smile on her, And know that she is loved. And so many of us, of you, need to sit at the feet of Jesus so you experience the blessing of God smiling on you. Jesus looking in his eyes and experiencing the love of God that way, just knowing that you're loved by God, But what in your life right now is a distraction that's keeping you from experiencing the smile of God on your life, keeping you from experiencing his face shining upon you, keeping you from experiencing the peace that he wants to bring you, the sense of that God is actually keeping you? What is it? Because the spirit of God wants to speak that to you to let you know. What's hindering your experience that way? I believe he's doing it today. I believe he's inviting, he's extending invitation for you to experience that blessed life, the blessing of seeing his face, seeing his smile uh, upon you. And not only that blessing, but one more. See, Jesus, because of his great care, he not only invites us to see his smile, but he invites us into a life of listening to him, into a life of hearing his voice. See, not only was the good portion getting to see his face, face to face, but it was this good portion of hearing him. Uh, Verse 39 tells us that Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened. She looked into his face and she heard his voice and it spoke to her heart. Friends, Jesus wants you to know that you can hear his voice, his words today. You know, the great theologian, uh, Lily Tomlin, anybody know Lily Tomlin, who she is? Um, that great great theologian Lily Tomlin once said, why is it that when we say we hear God speaking to us, that's called schizophrenia? But when we say we're praying and talking to God, everybody thinks that's cool. See, Jesus is inviting you into a listening relationship. A, a, a relationship where you actually get to, to see his face, you get to that blessing, you get to hear his voice. It brings you peace, the Bible tells us. Now Yes, it is through his written word. That is one of the ways we hear the voice of God, but you will not hear it until you enter it with listening prayer. You need to open this book with a heart that is intent on listening. Yes, you bring your request to God, but you listen. And not only will he speak to you off the written page, that which you need to hear, he will also speak it to your soul the more you have allowed this word to saturate your heart and mind, you will hear the voice of God in the deep recesses of your heart. You will experience him that way. That is part of that great blessing from the book of Numbers that has always been on the heart of God, that you would know that he is blessing you, that he is keeping you, that his face is shining upon you, that he is gracious to you, that he is lifting up his eyes, his countenance, looking at you so that you can experience his peace. That's that blessing that Martha was missing that day, and Jesus is giving her invitation. but She was distracted. Those cares and those troubles, she was caught up in the hype of this world. And friends, if you're stuck in the hype, you will never live in hope. You gotta walk away from the hype so that you can live in hope. And that hope is found in Jesus. It's sitting at his feet, experiencing the blessing of him smiling on you, seeing it, hearing, listening to his voice, calm your anxious heart, bringing bringing peace in the midst of whatever your storm is. And friends, this was the pattern of life for Jesus himself. He would pull away from the storm of ministry, to be alone with his father, to hear his father's voice, to see his father's smile. He was giving us a pattern for the way we need to live. But friends, here's the truth. Receiving that blessing, seeing his smile, seeing his face, listening, hearing his voice, means we're gonna have to slow down. We're gonna have to provide some space for that. I love the way that that C.S. Lewis spoke uh, about this. He spoke about it in our everyday life. He writes, the moment you wake up each morning, all of your wishes and hopes for the day rest at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists of shoving it all back and listening to that other voice, taking the other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life flow in. Listening for his voice, looking for his face does require some work on our part. Martha had to do some work that day. She had to decide, was she going to experience the Prince of Peace or was she just going to continue to let her life be a continuous explosion of anxiety? See, he can be in the room right now with you. And unless you respond to his invitation, to receive the blessing, to experience his face smiling on you, to hear his voice speaking to you, you'll miss it. Martha eventually caught up. She eventually became one of those people who knew the smile of the Lord, who knew the peace of Christ, who experienced, I believe, this listening relationship and you can have it too, but it starts by coming to him. Maybe even instead of running to resentment, running to him. Just running to the God of all creation because he extends that invitation. Let's pray together. Right, right there where you're at, whether you're in the room or you're at home watching online, just Right now, I just want to encourage you to to just make a little bit of space in your heart to hear God's voice speak a blessing over you, a blessing to you, a blessing in you. He who loves you so much, he cares about you. Now, that blessing may start with him pointing out the truth in love about who you are right now. He may be pointing to something deep inside of you that you need to hear him speak and call out so that he can step in. Holy Spirit, I ask you to do that now in our hearts. We just want to experience that now from you, Lord. Maybe today before you leave, as an act of running to him, responding to his invitation, maybe you just want to go to one of the crosses on either side of the room when we sing in a moment. There might be somebody there that will pray with you if you need to be prayed for. Just put on the cross, just write it and, and pin it to the cross what it is that has been your distraction, what it is that has been your source of anxiety, what it is that the Holy Spirit is showing you going on on the inside so you can quit blaming the outside, quit living in resentment, get set free. And Maybe you're here today and for the very first time you heard that the God of all creation when he thinks about you is smiling and you haven't seen his face. You haven't heard his voice calling to you. And maybe today, maybe you heard him speak your name, calling you to himself out of your anxiety, out of your fear, out of your worry, out of your blaming, shaming, into his presence, into his peace. The Bible says if you will call on his name, if you will come to him in your weariness calling on his name, he'll save you out of it. He will establish a relationship with you that will last forever. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will always be there coming at you in grace, bringing you the truth to set you free. And you can just, right where you're at, just pray, Jesus, that's what I want. I come trusting you. I turn away from trying to do life my way. I want to follow your way, Jesus. And the Bible says, if you will trust him that way, you'll be saved. You'll have a relationship with him. I don't know what decision you need to make today, but I know the decision that all of us need to make every day afresh. And that is to just come back to God. To sit, to position our lives so that we can experience that blessing of seeing his face smile upon us. Experience his grace being lived, poured out on us. His peace encompassing us. That's what God has for you right now. Will you just come to him? Will you run to him? That's how we want to end our service this morning. It's just, again, taking a moment to refocus our hearts from the distractions and just say, God, I'm running to you. I'm running away from the hype. I'm walking away from that. I'm running to you because you're my hope putting my hope in you again, God, putting my trust in you. Lord, we come. We come thanking you, Jesus, that you love us, that you do see us and you know us and you care. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for sending your son so that we might know that you care. So we come to worship you now, to celebrate your goodness, to bring our hearts back to you once again. In your name, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.